uh, continuing our series through Psalms of Hope, looking for hope in very interesting times in our life. The question I have to ask today is, who are your heroes? The one person that if you could change anything about your life that you would become that person. It's not too hard to think about this. In our culture, we tend to elevate those who have a lot of influence, those who have a lot of power. We can look on social media, turn on the television, watch a movie. We celebrate actors, actresses, athletes, those who are models, uh, those who run social media pages that say, hey, look at my glamorous life. I'm a single mom caring for all these children. My house looks so perfect that even Joanna Gaines would be jealous of it. And the danger is we can equate these skills, the appearances, the lifestyles of these people with core identities. Identities that we desire to have. And we run ourselves ragged, trying to measure up to some amount of success so we can say, hey, look at how good my life is. Or we build up in our mind how amazing these individuals are and we try to imitate them and we just find ourselves tired and discouraged because we realize that we will never be able to achieve the goals that we are chasing after. Perhaps you're familiar with that fear that you will never be good enough. You know what it's like. Whatever you try, it just doesn't work. The job promotion that you wanted, you don't get. You ask someone out and you get denied. You try to lose weight and you gain more weight instead. You try to make close friends and you're left feeling lonely. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, you look in the mirror and you say, I am tired. I am discouraged. Is that you this morning? Are you tired? Are you discouraged? Are you wondering if there's an, an end to this endless cycle of disappointment? What if there was a refuge that we could find rest? where we could go and see that we are already enough? What if the problem is that we've picked the wrong idea of success? We look at all these individuals who are wealthy, beautiful, have influence, and we're like, that's what I want. But perhaps that's the wrong idea of success. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 71 this morning. One of the great things about the Psalms is that they don't try to sugarcoat their emotions. They tell it how it is. They give us an incredible honesty about life. And this morning we're going to look at a Psalm whom we don't necessarily know who the author is. But as we read, we'll find out that he is old, that he is tired, that he has enemies, that he feels vulnerable, that he's wondering what his purpose is. In Psalm 71, we gain wisdom by asking the psalmist questions that only one who has experienced much of life can answer. But we'll see that as he wrestles through his questions, that he gains an unshakable hope. I invite all of you, as you are able to stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, that my, that from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. 
I have been a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in my old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek to hurt, to seek my hurt. But I will hope continually. I will praise you yet the more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God. Who is like you? You who have made me see, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. My tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to hurt me. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Our Father, we come to you this morning with, with lives that can easily distract us this morning. Perhaps we, we are tired, we are full of sorrow. The state of our country wears on us. Father, this morning, help us to put aside those things so that we may hear from your word, so that we may be comforted by it. God, you give us truth. Please help us to hear it. In your son's precious and holy name, amen. You may be seated. Old age has its problems. James 4 tells us that life is but a vapor. The CDC, I saw an announcement this week which stated that life is a sexually transmitted condition which is 100% fatal. We are all going to die, end quote. How is that for hope this morning? We've talked about how we will all die, how we may be tired. We will all grow old. The longer we live, the older we get. And that is something that all of us will face the more moments we live here on earth. Psalm 71:18 gives us an old saint. We know this because verse 18 says, so even in my old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. The longer we live on this earth, the more problems we will face. One of the consequences that we will face as we get older, yes, I tell you this as a 28-year-old, as you get older, there will be weakness. We'll lose strengths, abilities we once had, It'll take longer to recover from, long, from hard, long labor. One member commented on Facebook who helped us unload all these pumpkins you saw on your way in. Anyone else suffering from pumpkin patch back this morning? Knowing this particular individual that at one point in her life she would not have been phased by unloading thousands of pumpkins. But as she has grown older, it takes longer to recover. Or we could move away from the physical aches and pains that we experience as we get older. And as our bodies age, we no longer have the same abilities we once had. 
the ability to remember names, dates, directions. I remember in the last weeks of my grandmother's life, this past spring, FaceTiming with her, talking with her on the phone, and it would bring much sadness because she wouldn't remember my name. She couldn't remember the names of her granddaughter, her great-granddaughters. She forgot that her husband had passed more than a year prior. It is sad. Growing old, you'd think if you're a Christian, it would bring much more hope than it does. But as we go through life, we seem to only face more hardships. I don't say any of this as as disrespectful to any who are older than myself. John Wesley, who lived to be 88 years old, old, kept a diary most of his life. And in June 28th, 1789, he writes this. Sunday the 28th. This day I enter my 86th year of life. I now find I grow old. My sight is decayed so that I cannot read small print unless I use a strong light. My strength is decayed so that I walk much slower than I did years since. My memory of names, whether of persons or places, is decayed till I stop a little to recollect them. What I should be afraid of is if I thought for the morrow that my mind and create either stubbornness by the decrease of my understanding or the peevishness by the increase of bodily infirmities. But thou shalt answer me, O Lord. In fact, probably the worst thing about growing old, another consequence of that is a lack of respect for those who are older than us. James Boyce comments in his commentary that it's not fun to grow old, especially in America. There is not the respect there once was given to elders. Here in America, we value youth. The culture is so oriented to youthful interests that many old people even try to dress and act like teenagers. So what do we do with all this? How do we process all this information in light of Psalm 71? Well, we see that we can look to the past for hope. That looking in the past for hope, we will see God's faithfulness. Verse 1 reads again, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. We have a refuge in every storm and from every enemy. Psalm 46.1 repeats this idea that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Pastor Will preached on that psalm several weeks ago. This psalmist in his old age is running to God for deliverance. The way that deliverance is shown is through the idea of a refuge or a rock. Verse 1 says, And you, O Lord, I take refuge. Or in verse 3, Be to me a rock. You are my rock and my fortress. So he is looking for a place for safety. This is a picture of something that will provide shelter, or protection, or safety. You most likely saw the blue pop-up tents on your way in this morning, and if you've paid attention to the weather, you know that we had some serious wind and rain. I can tell you from experience that those tents do not make a good refuge. I was wet, I was cold, they did not provide safety. Here in the psalm, we are talking about something much stronger than a tent stronger than any fortress. In this psalm, God is the refuge. God is the safety. A couple things to highlight about the refuge we see in verse 2, in your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. That word righteousness will show up several times throughout the reading of the psalm, and it means that God is righteous or that God is good that everything that God does or says is right. We can make accusations against God in our own life. We can cry foul or say that that wasn't fair or God, that wasn't right for this to happen to me. But at the end of time, we shall see that God has always and will always be doing what is right, regardless of how we process that. He never makes a mistake He never gets it wrong. And the psalmist here in these first verses is leaning 
into that truth. He is hoping and praying that he is right because if he's wrong, he cannot go to God as his refuge and fortress. Friends, we need that reminder from time to time. I think that one of the reasons deep down we question God is because we doubt his goodness. We ask God questions about his righteousness and we think, if I go to God with this, if I take this issue to God, I have to be willing to accept that he does something that I don't like. And so therefore we doubt his righteousness. God is a refuge and if we are going to experience God as a refuge, fortress, a place of safety, we must trust him. There's no other way that we can find God as a refuge and fortress if we don't fully trust him. We have to go to him with our insecurities, with our shortcomings, with our failures, and trust that he is not going to shoo us away because we lack value, because we doubt his goodness. The truth is that God accepts us in spite of our failings and shortcomings and our doubts, and he will never fail us. Psalm 71, 3 says, Be to me a rock of, of refuge, to which I may come continually. I find it interesting that the psalmist immediately goes back to this idea that, God, you are my rock and my refuge again. He just said that in verse 1. I think he does this because he knows what it's like to trust God one minute and then five minutes later to doubt God's goodness. What do you do when you trust God one moment and later that day after giving your anxiety, your fear to God, you then start feeling more fear, more anxiety, more doubt about who you are? What do we do with that? Do we get to go to God again? Are we allowed to come with the same request to him? Is God going to have time to hear our needy requests once more? Is God going to be annoyed that we haven't learned the truths of his word? Will he be like a parent who is distracted when a child is annoyingly calling after them? Dad, 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 mom, 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 listen, listen, listen. No. There is no limit to the number of times that we can come to God today. No, he is a refuge whom we can come, as the psalmist says, continually. We can come to him daily, hourly, every moment, far from being annoyed, the exact opposite is true, is that God actually delights when we come to him, when we call on him, when we seek for him to be a refuge. Psalm 147, 11 says, the Lord, take the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Friends, he invites us to. He says, bring your worries, bring your doubts, Bring your anxieties. I can handle them and I will be your deliverer. Some of you here this morning might not know what all this God talk is about. You may think that the idea that God can be a refuge is strange. You might think this religious talk is for those who are weak and lonely so we create a being who is not like us. Don't be mistaken, we all trust in something. We all trust in someone. The question though we have to ask is, is what we are trusting in today trustworthy? Some trust in money, a big savings account, a big retirement fund, but money can be taken away, it can be stolen, it can be mismanaged. Some find security in their jobs. What happens when your job, you lose it or you get a demotion? Some of us put our trust in relationships, and yet we know from relationships with friends, family, coworkers, that we know the idea of being betrayed. We can't put our trust in relationships. For some, it's beauty, but beauty fades as we get older. For some, it's intelligence. Intelligence fails as we get older. All of these things that I've listed can vanish in just a moment. In the blink of an eye, God alone is our true refuge. He is continually trustworthy. He is always righteous. He is always good. 
And if we find that we are not trusting in him for our refuge, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, you should repent and run to the good father for deliverance. Because I can tell you, as the things of this world fade away, as the world gets more chaotic, you won't find the comfort here that you're looking for, comfort that can only be found in God. These are some bold requests that the psalmist is making to be a refuge, to be a fortress, to allow him to come continually. Starting in verse 5 through 8, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. We see that he is remembering God's past care. He is able to call upon God to be his refuge because he has seen how God has worked in the past. You have been my confidence since my youth. The psalmist is recalling all the past times that God has rescued him, the times that he has seen God work in mighty, miraculous ways. And yet again, he's leaning into the truth, not that God is just good and righteous, but that God was good and righteous in the past. That God does not change. That God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You and I, we change. We grow up. We grow old. We develop. We learn different sets of skill. We change the things we like, the things we dislike. But not God. God is perfect in power and knowledge and strength. He has no reason to improve because he is perfect. Why is that important? Because the old saint in Psalm 71 is able to look at all the past that he's lived, his long life, he is old, gray-haired, frailed. He looks and he sees that God has been faithful in the past and that he can have confidence that God will be the same and the present. Verse 7 says, I have been a portent to many. You may not know what this word portent means. I'll be honest, I didn't. I had to look it up. It carries the idea of a sign or a warning. You might recall when you were younger, you might have made a weird face, scrunched your face up, stuck your tongue out, and a teacher, a parent, a grandparent, someone would say, hey, don't do that because your face is going to stay that way. And we know that's not true. But the psalmist looks at his life and realizes that that's what he's become, and that he's become a sign to people. We read in verse 20 that you have made me see many troubles and calamities. He made God his refuge. And what did he experience? Calamities, troubles, hardships, difficult experiences. I can imagine the psalmist walking down the road and people see this old saint hobbling along, struggling to go, and they say, you see this guy? Let that be a sign to you that this is what happens when you make God your refuge. You can imagine how this would cause the psalmist to, to wrestle, right? If God is my refuge and I have followed him for so long, why have I experienced these troubles? If I've obeyed God, shouldn't that mean I live a very prosperous life? And yet through all the pain, the psalmist has not grown cynical. Cynicism is a great temptation as we walk through life, as we live more life, when we move towards death, as difficulties pile up, as relationships sour, as hopes and goals fail to materialize. It's easy to throw in the towel emotionally and say, you know, I'm kind of fine where I'm at. We become cold-hearted and we say, I don't know if this is really worth it. The psalmist, however, teaches us that the pain is not meant to cause our hearts to withdraw. In fact, it's the exact opposite, that the pain is meant to draw our hearts to God. Verse 20, from the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. Adversity isn't intended to diminish our hope in God. 
Adversity is intended to heighten our hope in him. We are brought to remember that God is all we have and that he truly is enough. So the psalmist is wrestling with his faith in verse 7. I've been important to many, but you are my strong refuge. He was not going to let his emotions, he wasn't going to let gossip, he wasn't going to let hardships remove what he knew to be about true, that God was still his refuge, whatever circumstances he was facing. That he could look to the past and he could point to truth that God was there faithful and that God is still faithful and that he doesn't care what others tell him. He says, I know the truth. God's track record proves his faithfulness. Remember that God's past care, God's past working in our lives is kind of like a a web browser or a search history. That as you go on your computer, on your smartphone, you can start typing something in and it'll kind of autofill in what you've previously gone to. That's what it's like when we look to God's past care to find hope. We're going through a difficult situation and we look and we say, oh yeah, God gave us hope in that hopeless situation. Or we find ourselves in another situation and we say, yes, God cared for me when no one else cared for me. When I was lonely, I found a friend in him. When I was worried for my well-being, I found a refuge. But when difficulties come, sometimes it's like someone deletes the browsing history. And we are so quick to forget. So what does this look like in a very practical way? How do we do this? How do we remember God's faithfulness in the past? One of the most obvious ways that we can do this is through the Lord's table, which we'll partake in a little bit. We drink the juice and we eat the cracker, remembering what God did on Calvary, providing a way for us to be saved from our sins, providing a way for us to have a relationship with him. We could also do this through our life groups, sharing life on life together, sharing, hey, this is what God did in my life this week. If you're not a part of a life group, see me afterwards. I would love to get you plugged in. Another is thanking God for answering prayers. This means that we have to expect God to work when we pray. When we pray asking for God to work on our behalf, we expect that he is going to. When we read our Bibles, we look for ways that God has been faithful throughout the whole history of the Bible. Seeing how he has kept his promises, seeing how he's been faithful and working on behalf of his followers. Like the psalmist, we need to remember God's past care in our life because we continually forget. We need the reminder. But we haven't answered the question of what is the psalmist actually going through? Why is he so desperate? Why is he at this stage in his life now calling out to God continually, be my refuge, be my strength? We see starting in verse 9, Do not cast me off in the time of my old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say that God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace, may they be covered who seek to hurt me. We now see that looking to the present for hope, we find ourselves praising God now. Why is he scared? Why is the psalmist calling for deliverance? Because the psalmist has enemies that are seeking to kill him. They're seeking to hurt him. They're seeking to devour him. They are coming after him. And he's wondering, man, God, don't cast me off in this time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. He is bringing up his value before God. Will God still view me as valuable in my old age? Will God still care for me even though I am weak? 
Will God still have time for me even though I'm not the man or woman I once was? Is God just going to cast me aside like a child does an old toy when something new and shiny is brought before them? Perhaps you've seen this in your parents' life, in your grandparents' life, or perhaps this morning you find yourselves there. You're wondering, does God see me as valuable? Do I have worth? Do you ever struggle connecting your value as a human being with how productive you are able to be? Meaning, I'm only valuable if I can do this much work. I'm only valuable if I can be the best in my field. This is something that whether you are old or young, you will wrestle with. This is something that I wrestle with. We need to notice that why the psalmist is asking this question. It says in verse 10, for my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken me, forsaken him. Pursue him, seize him, for there is none to deliver him. The psalmist had enemies who were whispering lies into his ears. I think the psalmist knew that God was his refuge. I think he had complete confidence in the fact. He believed that with his whole heart and his whole being that God was his refuge. But at times he was tempted to believe the lies of his enemies. Maybe God will leave me. Maybe God will forsake me. Maybe God doesn't see me as valuable anymore. So what does he do? He acknowledges that there are real enemies. In his present struggles, in the moment he is in right now, he recognizes and acknowledges that there are real enemies and that there are real fears. And what does he do with it? He casts it on the Lord. He goes to God in prayer and pours out his heart to God. He is honest about his fears and he's realistic about the dangers. He doesn't shrug it off and say, I got this. No, he says in verse 12, O God, be not far from me. O God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek to hurt me. What are you doing this morning with the burdens you are carrying? Perhaps right now. Are your burdens heavy? Are you tired? Some of you do exactly what the psalmist does. When you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you recognize that enemies are around you, when you hear the lies of the world, you take those and you cast them on God. But what about the rest of us? Do you know that this morning you and I have enemies? Not supervillains like you'll see in the movies, but we have enemies. Do you know that right now we are at war? Not a physical war with bullets, but a war nonetheless. The Bible says that Christians are always at a time of war. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. My fear is that we look around when life is going well, when the bills are being paid, when we get the job promotion, when all in our family are healthy, and we think that we're at peace. Things are going great. So we head out the door forgetting that there are bullets flying at our heads, that there is an enemy seeking to destroy each and every one of us. The world we live in is constantly whispering and shouting lies about who God is. And it tries to make us feel ridiculous, insecure if we don't believe the lies that it is pumping out. The world is opposed to God and the things of God. The world wants us to not believe in God's promises. Our flesh is opposed to God. The devil is real and he is opposed to God. So yeah, 
We may not have supervillains like the movies, but we do have a much greater enemy, just like the psalmist. This doesn't mean that we should live in fear. Though we are at war, though we are fighting in a battle, the battle is already won. We'll come back to this moment, this idea in, in a later moment, but we are still at war. When we are watching TV, when we are on our phones, when we're left to our own thoughts, we need to be actively on guard against the lies we are being told. We cannot afford to let our guards down. We don't know what is affecting us if we're not putting up barriers. We need to look at everything that we are taking in to see if it is true, if it agrees with what the Bible says. We need to be people of the word, reading, meditating, listening, sharing, so that we can, can, so that we can detect lies and that we can combat lies. When the world says, hey, your God's not that good, look at all the wickedness. How do we respond to that? When something tragic happens in your life and they're like, you still follow after this God, how will we respond? I think when we are oblivious to the war we are in, one of the kindnesses of God is to let us experience a trial to wake us up. We then once again lean into God. We might not view the trials that we go through as a kindness of God, but perhaps he's using that to say, hey, remember, I'm the one who cares for you. I can protect you from the world. He's doing it for our benefit. Verse 14, but I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches the highest heavens. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. Oh my God, I will sing praises to you with the lyre. Oh, holy one of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing your praises. My soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteousness, help, your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me harm. Lastly, this morning, we will look to the future for hope because of the next generation. The psalmist is in trouble, but amidst all the trouble, he praises God in confident hope for future victory. Verse 14, but I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. I will always hope. Not just when circumstances are favorable to me, but even when my enemies come to kill me, despite the hardest circumstances I will go through, my hope will not be shaken. In a world as unstable and unpredictable as ours, this is the hope that we need. We need this type of hope, hope that is found in these verses. The phrase, I will, shows up 14 times. He is that confident, he is that sure that he is able to look to the past to hope and now he's looking forward to something. I will, I will, I will. Verse 20, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. The many troubles were brought about by God. He's acknowledging that, that the troubles in his life, that God has allowed for him to experience them. 
But if God is sovereign over all our troubles, but he's not good, then he is not trustworthy. But if God is good, then knowing God is sovereign, even during our troubles, hardships, and sufferings, that can be the source of encouragement and hope that we need. That's what makes verse 19 so amazing. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. That God is good and his goodness stretches to the sky. And he, he's giving this illustration that there is no end to it. It reaches the highest heavens. Like, if I can go all the way up that, I'm not going to get to the end and go to the other side and see that God actually isn't good. His goodness has run out, and now I'm seeing the bad side of God. Our future looks bright with God because he is always good, that there is no end to his goodness. In our sufferings, we need to be careful not to put God on trial and assume that he is just like us. That's where we make the mistake when we think that God is just like us. The psalmist asks, who is like you? The answer is no one. God is holy. That means he's set apart. He's transcendent. He's in a completely different category than you and me. There may be times, though, in the future where God allows us to see a trial and we'll ask the question, why? How can this be good? Just because we're asking the question doesn't mean that God isn't good or that God isn't righteous. It doesn't mean that God has left us because we are no longer valuable. Anyone who is a parent or has been a parent and has disciplined their child because they love their child, gets a small glimpse of this. Parents who love their children discipline their children because they know what's best for them. If my daughter is reaching for the oven, I don't let her touch it so she knows, oh, that was a bad idea, I won't do that again. No, I stop her, I correct her, I say, don't do that, the oven is hot. She may not understand why I would do that, why I would raise my voice, why I would make her cry in a sudden outburst, but they, I do it because I love her. God allows us to experience trials and difficulties out of love for us. The child doesn't always understand why they might not feel love in a present moment from the parent during discipline, but the discipline is in fact a greater act of love from the parent. God allowing us to go through trials is a way in which he shows love to us to shape us to be more in his image. God's righteousness is the foundation of the psalmist's hope and also the foundation for his future hopes that, that right now in the present he can give praises to God even though he is surrounded by enemies, even though he's hearing lies. He is confident that God is always going to do the right thing, that he will not make a mistake. You might be out there listening, you're not familiar with the Psalms or much of the Bible, but I'll give you an overview of why it is that I can stand up here before you as a 28-year-old who hasn't experienced much of life and say, I have this confidence. Because at the beginning of the world, God created everything. He spoke the world into existence. He made the trees, the animals, the skies, the stars. He made mankind in his own image, in the likeness of him. And he said, this is what I've given you. But mankind, Adam and Eve in the garden, they sinned. They ate of the fruit they were told not to, which sent the rest of mankind on a trajectory of hating God, separated from him, away from him. Their relationship with God was broken. But God promised in that very moment at the very beginning of history that, hey, I'm going to send someone who's going to make this right. One who can bring redemption despite the wickedness of mankind. And 2,000 years ago, a man was born, God sent Jesus down to be born of a virgin, to live on this earth a holy, perfect, blameless life, to do miracles, to 
provide signs, and then ultimately to be beaten, bruised, and mocked, and to be put to death on the cross. All of this so that you and I can have a relationship with God. My confidence is that because Jesus didn't remain dead, the Bible says that three days later, he rose again. That anyone who is able to conquer death is one that we can put our confidence in. Because we're all here, right? We're all living. We haven't experienced death. Jesus overcame something that no one else in history has ever overcome. But it continues that he says that one day he will take us home to be with God in heaven and those who are followers of Jesus who put their faith and trust in him, not because of works that we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross that will be in heaven. There will be no more sorrows. There will be no more fears. There will be no more enemies attacking us. Our confidence is not based on what we've done, but our confidence is on what Jesus has done and what Jesus has promised, that he will resurrect us. The cross of Christ is where we see mercy and justice meet. Without the cross, God still would be just but we would be without hope, separated from him forever. But with the cross, God is righteous and we can be forgiven and we can have confident hope of God's forgiveness because it's not on us, it's on God. Jesus did the work for us and he says, come to me, those who are burdened, those who are weary, those who are tired, and I will give you rest. This psalmist of old he would have known of the Passover meal, the exodus, the promises that God had made to Adam and Eve, to Moses, to Abraham. He would have known all these promises of a coming Savior, Jesus, who would take away the sins of the world. It is in that faith that he would understand what grace means. How could he be confident that God wouldn't cast him aside in his old age? The grace of God. Friends, our value is in not how much, how productive we are, not how successful we are, not how much money we have in the bank, not how many friends we have. There is nothing in us or anything we can do that will merit God's love towards us. God's love towards us is a gracious gift. We have value as human beings because God made us into his image so that a watching world would know what God is like. So this old saint realizes this, and he shouts from the rooftops God's mighty acts. Verse 18, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all of those who come. So not only does he have hope in the future that God is going to restore, that God is going to make right, he also has hope in the future because he's going to declare to the next generation. If you are here this morning and you're older, I'll even say if you're older than me, you can look around this room and you'll see a lot of young people. The next generation and you have a golden opportunity and responsibility to tell those younger than you about God's mighty acts in your life. The young in this church may not have experienced God's working in great ways, but you have. You have seen God sustain yourself or your family through hardships, through trials, through sorrows, through loss, but those younger than you might not have a clue what to do. Your responsibility is to show them your life and say, look at the scars, look at the hardships, look at the hurt that I've experienced, but God is still good and is doing mighty acts. This is my soapbox, right? I, I lead the youth group here. It's what I care about. I'm telling all of you, you have a responsibility to teach those younger than you about the goodness of God. 
One of God's greatest gifts to our church is older saints. The young in our church don't have the perspective that comes with years of following after God through life circumstances. But you do. So I'm telling you, older saints, whom I love, open your mouth. Declare what God has done in your life over and over again. John Piper says, Getting old to the glory of God means resolutely resisting the typical American dream of retirement. It means being so satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in Christ that we are set free from the cravings that create so much emptiness and uselessness in retirement. Instead, knowing that we have an infinitely satisfying and everlasting inheritance in God just over the horizon of life makes us zealous in our few remaining years here to spend ourselves in sacrifices of love, not the accumulation of comfort. So I tell you, older saints, get to work. Tell the younger generation the truths that God has taught you. And if you're younger here, like myself, one of the ways that you can find confidence like the psalmist is, is to shut your mouth and listen. Find those who are older than you. It's relatively easy. They could be balding. Their hair could be gray. They could move a lot slower than you. It could be apparent. Go to them. Find those saints. Find those older than you. Ask a bunch of questions and shut your mouth and listen. Praise God for the older saints who can testify of the goodness of God through his mighty acts for the many years they have lived on this earth. Christianity is a community project. We need each other. We cannot do this life on our own. Even though sometimes the promises of God will seem slow, we need to realize that the valleys of life help us grow. That the greatest gift is to have him and to be in his presence No matter what, God will never let us go. And so what is our hope in this life that's filled with disappointment and that death is certain? That the future that awaits us is so much better than anything this world can give us. And to hear a loving father at the end say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant.